Welcome to Vicious Talk with Benny P. Today's exciting episode is going to be a, we're going to do a little bit of a, a quarter of the season mark for the NFL. We're four games through. Connor Larson and I, my, my good friend and co-host, bringing him back to do a little bit of a check-in for fantasy football and just how the NFL season kind of has been going down. We want to get this out and, and make this more of a re-listenable podcast for people that aren't able to get to this one prior to Sunday's slate of games. It's going to be a podcast that still will have will hold some value going to week five, uh, week six after this week's slate of games. But before I get any further, welcome back, Connor. Hey, thanks for having me, Benny. What's popping? What is popping, my guy? We are... Uh, before we kick off the the football talk here, couldn't you know I'm a baseball guy. I come back from a, with a baseball background. I had to touch on quickly and, and briefly on the MLB playoffs. Um, I, I know you're you're a Cardinals guy, Cardinals fan. Had a, a heartbreaking loss to the Dodgers in the wild card game. Good good matchup. Uh, was back and forth all game. I wish there was more runs personally myself. Um, well, I'm always I'm always more of a, a, a fan of offense than than good pitching and defense, but that's just me and my American League kind of mentality. But still, was a lot of good uh, entertainment value in that one-one matchup till the end. Dodgers won on the two-one the the two-run home run walk off from Chris Taylor. What were your immediate thoughts as a, as a Cardinals fan of this season? Like, what were your takeaways as as a Cardinals? Uh, you know. Uh, follower and, and and losing that that matchup against the Dodgers, were you disappointed? Were you happy for the season? Like the team, you know, had the 17 game win streak. Like, what were your thoughts on the season for the Cards? I'm excited by this core that we put together at this point. You know, it's a it's a fresh roster. We have had some recent changes, and so to have this kind of you know year one success, I would say for this refresh roster, I was pretty happy to see Wainwright in the playoffs battling. Like it, you know, like he was still a young stud back in the day, and, and going the distance was was great too. You know, I, I, I'm always happy when the team makes the playoffs, and I call that a success. You know, as a Cardinals fan, we've had a few recent championships in the past 20 years, but you know, even still, I get excited just by making the playoffs. Yeah, you know, the opportunities were there. You had, I think, more guys that runner. I think you had more runners in scoring position throughout the game. Um, just really couldn't get that timely hit, and it came down to the last thing where. Um, you know the best pit, the best relief pitcher you had was on. I mean, actually, it was the second best relief pitcher you had. Reyes was probably second to Gallegos, who Gallegos I think threw the eighth inning, and then Reyes threw the ninth, and um, really just came down to you know who who scored last and it ended up being the Dodgers got that the big home run. Dodgers were re- really reliant on the long ball all season long, so nothing to to hang your your heads on. I thought the Cardinals had a good season. The 17 game win streak was incredible for them. Um, really seemed like they were destined for, you know, a disappointing year and I think in like the beginning of August they had like a 3 3% chance of making the postseason something around there. They go, climbed all the way to make the wild card spot. So, the really disappointed teams like, you know, the Padres, the Reds, um there was a lot of teams that were battling the Mets, the Phillies, like those all those teams are kind of there at the end and the Cardinals yeah. tried and true. That team just has a standard of excellence higher than everybody else's, it seems like. Yeah, I mean, I like the uh, Arenado pickup this year. I thought he yeah. you know, was a great fit for our roster, and he really added to our team. Dylan Carlson is a, is a great up-and-coming rookie. Uh, you know, he's, he's spent like a Carlson. little bit of time with the team before, and you know, he's got a sweet swing, and he's definitely going to be, I think, a long-term player for us in the future. So. I'm definitely excited uh, about our team going forward, you know, especially because they got a guy on the team named Lars. And so basically <laughs> I got to get his jersey because that's me. <laughs> right. I mean, that's funny. Yeah. I, I look actually like 
my personal perspective heading into that game. Like, I actually kind of wanted to bet on the Cardinals. I thought they were going to win the game. They were the hotter team. I mean, both teams are really good. The, the three hottest teams in the sport were the Giants, Dodgers, and, and Cardinals down the stretch yeah. in, in September. Uh, the Cardinals, I think, were 22-7 and seven over the last 30. Dodgers and Giants were both 23-7. and seven. But the Cardinals, I think, over the last 20, I think they only lost three games. I think they went 17-3 and three to finish the season. Um, and and they, they were a wicked hot team. And it really just run into the buzzsaw of the Dodgers postseason performance. Too. The Dodgers just seem to always, in recent history at least, you know, uh, when it matters most, get the big hit, the timely hit. And we'll see if the Dodgers are able to continue on. Really excited to see that that LA-San Francisco matchup. First time in postseason history that these two, this big this big of a rivalry, you know, the fans, wow. the fan bases hate each other. Really just like one of the most intense rivalries in the sport, facing off in their first postseason series against one another. Really looking forward to how that one plays out. Um and, and you know the Dodgers are, are a lot of people's World Series favorites. I think that right now they're the they're the favorites. The Giants, I think, are the second favorite. So this is a matchup to watch between the Giants and Dodgers. On the other hand, in the other side, the other series uh, for the National League, the Brewers taking on the Braves, and uh, we could see another Dodgers Braves, you know, rematch in the NLCS. They faced each other last year, had a great seven game series in the National League Championship Series. But the Brewers are kind of saying not not so fast. The Brewers took game one. Looking forward to seeing how that series plays out as well. I think the Brewers have outstanding pitching. Um, you know, Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, uh, Willie Peralta, some really good pitchers for the Brewers. And they're going to be reliant heavily on that, especially because, you know, the lineup hasn't really been there for the Brewers this season. You know, Yelich is their MVP a couple years ago, and he's basically been a league average to below average hitter all season long and he's kind of been shaking off some injuries here and there but disappointing year from him Brewers relying on guys like you know Avisayo Garcia Daniel Vogelbach I mean and Willie Willie Adamas was a great trade for them getting him from the from the Rays uh, mid-season but the Brewers don't really have that that go-to hitter that they're going to need to make a long postseason run so a lot of people aren't really expecting a, a whole lot of them from them but when it comes to this this point of the season, the pitching seems to be what's most critical. Um, and, and the loss, you know, did you see that uh, that story with uh, Williams? Uh, I forget his first name. Um, can't remember his name for his first name for some reason. It's blanking. I'm having a brain fart. But Bernie Williams. Uh, no, no, no. The, <laughs> the Brewers, the Brewers relief pitcher. Uh, oh, it's a D. D. Um, damn it! Why can't I think of it? Um, he's a he's an awesome relief pitcher. Has a Un, a wipeout changeup, like a Pedro Martinez. Devin Williams. Devin Williams um, has a wipeout changeup that is like just untouchable. One of the most effective pitches in the league. And they were celebrating to the clinching of the postseason and got drunk, punched a wall, broke his hand out for the rest of the year. Like I, that was, that was like, if there were, if there was any, you know, bad signs entering into the postseason like that was it like that was like and he's your second best relief pitcher no haters a beast closing out games for them but really Devin Williams breaking his hand was a heartbreaker for them I, I just have a hard time I mean the only thing that, that the Brewers have to hang their hats on is the Braves are pretty banged up themselves missing their best player Ronald Acuna we'll see how that plays out I think that the winner of the National League is probably in that Giants Dodgers series if I had to guess but we'll see I mean Obviously, that's that's the pick that everybody would be going with for the National League, the Dodgers or the Giants. So, 
Um, in the American League, uh, on the other hand, we're looking at the Astros taking on the White Sox. Two really great teams. I think these are two. I mean, that, the American League is loaded with great teams. Um, and, and I think this is the series that I'm most looking forward to watching more of. Um, Astros took game one. I didn't see, you know, what's crazy about, I was talking to this about earlier. The, the the first round of the playoffs of the MLB is just like it's so fast it's so quick paced we get we get games right away it feels like and then you get day games and it's really easy to miss things and I'm gonna have to go back and watch this game two went to the Astros as well at the Houston's up to a two nothing lead on the series I was just checking the score right now they won nine four in the second game didn't catch any of the game I'm kind of mad at myself. I, I saw most of the first game. The Astros are just a, a solid playoff team that they're, they've been tried and they've been tested. And clearly they have the guys that, you know, nobody likes these guys at this point. If you're not an Astros fan, you're Astros hater for all that whole, <laughs> that whole 2017 cheating scandal. But the Astros are, are an excellent playoff team and they've been there. And Dusty Baker is an excellent manager. One of the, one of the favorites for coach, uh, coach of the year candidates. I don't think he's going to get it. I think it's probably going to go to um, either the Mariners manager or the um, or the uh, the what's the Rays manager Kevin Cash, um, but we'll see. I, I think that's one of my favorite series. The White Sox have a really good starting staff, really good relief pitching. It'll be a bummer if they get knocked out in just three games. I think that team has more talent than that. Hopefully, they can make it a series. Going back to to Chicago for games three and four. And then back to Houston should it get there uh, for game five. Looking forward to that series and how it plays out. I definitely want to catch games three and four this week. And hopefully the White Sox can make it a series. Dude, doesn't um, the MLB know that we have jobs and we can't watch postseason games at one in the afternoon on a tough, weekday? It's man. It moves so fast. I'm a major baseball fan. If I if these games were like later in the day, I would love to watch every inning of every game. And I, I just I can't keep up with it. I'm going to go back we're and watch the highlights. not all working from but, home anymore. You're going right? to the office. You can't watch these games. This first this first round goes by so quickly. And, you know, it's crazy. It's, it's funny because people complain about baseball being so slow-paced. Like this first <laughs> – this first division series round always gets to me so fast. Like it's hard to keep up with these games. And it the feels Astros, like March Madness for basketball. We were talking blink- about it in the pre-show. It's just game after game, <laughs> and they're mid-afternoon games. You're like going home on a lunch break, real quick, right? popping on the freaking Dodgers game. All right, here we go. <laughs> right, poor, poor White Sox, man. Blink of an eye, they're down two nothing to this to the Astros, who seem to just be a buzzsaw of a playoff team. Dodgers and Giants haven't even played a single game yet. They're playing tonight. And uh, we're recording this right before they start. I'm sure our listeners will probably be listening to this after that first game. But the point is, like, so fast that it's like, you know, you're, 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 you work 162 games. Like, you're working your ass off to get to this point. And you could be bounced in a blink of an eye. And the, the, the White Sox are on the brink of elimination. And it feels like the, the postseason just started. Like, I was, I was really, like, my, 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 my gut was telling me to pick the Rays as the World Series winners. You know, we haven't gotten to that series. Rays, Red Sox, big one, uh, American League East rivalry there. Um, but my gut was telling me to pick the Rays. But, like, my my heart wanted to pick the White Sox. And, you know, actually, I hate the I, – I don't like the White Sox as an organization. Like, they, I, feel, I still feel like they cheated us out of a World Series in 2005. That I don't want to get to that. But, but the White Sox are a fun team this year. And they have a lot of good players, a lot of fun players. And they have a really good pitching staff. They have – 
two excellent closing pitchers essentially with Hendricks and Kimbrell. And then they have Michael Kopich and and Lucas Giolito as starting staff, Lance Lynn. Like they have really good pitching. And it'd be a bummer if we don't get to see them pass three games against the Astros. I'm really hoping they make that a series. Um other matchup, last one we get to, Boston Red Sox taking on Tampa Bay Rays. Red Sox had I think that I think the Red Sox are just happy to be here at this point. Like that wild card win over the Yankees was their season, the pinnacle of their year. Um, as long as they they can say, you know, we, we eliminated the New York Yankees, we sent them home, and we were the better team this year than the Yankees. As someone who I, lives in Boston, I can tell you my neighbors were very pleased that they beat the Yankees. <laughs> I, I was hearing it all night long. Upstairs never yelling. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I didn't know if he was making love or watching the Red Sox, to be honest. <laughs> That's hilarious. The Red Sox had a... a they hopped on them early. They got on Cole early. You know, Cole's starting to become this, uh, you know, he's got a reputation. He's got a reputation for a guy that kind of chokes in the postseason. Poor guy. I don't know. He's like, he's got maybe the most talented arm in baseball aside from Jacob deGrom. And he has not really put together a postseason performance that he could hang his hat on. He's not. He needs, he needs the tar on he his needs hat. The, he needs That's the spider the tech. He needs the spider tech. You yeah. got to bring Tyson and Capen back on. We'll talk about Garrett Cole, the spin <laughs> rate man. I mean, it, I, it's rough. It's rough. There's definitely a difference. There's diff- definitely a difference. Yeah, probably. Um, his, he didn't have his best stuff on on uh, on Tuesday night, and the Red Sox took advantage of him early. I love that Bogarts homer that he hit in the first inning. Crushed one to center field. When he hit it, it was like, oh man, is he really do? Are they really doing this? And the Red Sox have just like that franchise when when the postseason comes, like they just have some sort of magic and like twinkle. When especially when they're playing in Fenway, ever since two thousand and four, and and I I I know the old old people listening to this would be like, man, you have no idea. The Red Sox were like cursed for the longest time growing <laughs> up. But from our from our vantage point, you know, we're twenty seven year olds, and we've witnessed a good amount of Red Sox excellence in our lifetimes and from our teen years we've seen a lot of great Red Sox years yeah so I relished I, in singing 1918 as a kid but it, it yeah. quickly went away as soon as we hit our <laughs> you know our pubescent years so you yeah. we've had a at you as a Red Sox fan you've had a great run compared to the Yankees lately the past decade for sure um I'm looking forward to hopefully the Red Sox can make it a series there they the Rays have just jumped on them fast to start that series um and i believe they lost again today um so the red sox are already down two are yeah well actually they're in the fourth inning as they record this but the red sox are down five four um the rays have just like a, a plethora of guys that you just never heard of but we'll get a hit with two guys two what two outs two guys on like they'll just get the rbi single or rbi double and they also have nelson cruz who i think is um someone who actually i think is a, a decent value for like a I know we listen. We listen to uh, sports cards nonsense. We like to listen to sports cards talk. Like I think Nelson Cruz is a guy that could see a final kind of jump, as his. Uh, you know, this might be even his last year of his career. And if he makes a World Series run with the Tampa Bay Rays, that'd be a pretty good guy to uh, maybe own a little bit of hobby value of. One of the longest tenured power hitters. You know, I mean, he was right? hitting forty was home runs his, into his late thirties. His rookie cards are two thousand and six. Like, holy <laughs> yeah, he had, he's the he's the oldest guy to hit a postseason home run in baseball since Julio Franco did it for the Tampa the uh, the Atlanta Braves. So, Ben, how old were you in two thousand six? <laughs> uh, I was you twelve years old. 
<laughs> eight. Oh, no, no, I was 12. 12. Oh, okay, fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. So, but yeah, I did I mean, a minus really, two plus two in the wrong direction yeah. there. Really, really, I'm just, um, my earliest memories of Nelson Cruz were with the Texas Rangers, really. I mean, I, I barely knew the guy as a player until he started to just mash with the Rangers. And that was in his like early to mid 30s. So, late bloomer, but someone who is in that, he's not Tom Brady, but he's in that like, only a one of a very few athletes that seem to be able to just fight off Father Time for as long as he can. He doesn't get hobby love though. He he's he not a, a player with a huge fan the base. DH the DH thing is tough. The I know DH Poppy did it, but teams he yeah. he never had a longer long enough tenure on a single roster. You know he bounced around. You talk about the Rangers. You know he, he was on the what was it the Orioles, Twins. the Mariners, Twins. Mariners. He was on a lot of teams. Yeah. So I think that's that's a big issue when it comes to that's a player's true. track record and Hall of Fame and also fanship because you know. Not one fan base gets to latch on to this guy. Very true. All right, Connor, who are you picking to win the World Series? Just off the top of your head, who who in your your heart of hearts you think is going to take away the World Series title at the end of this? Well, obviously the Cardinals. <laughs> no, I, mean, I think I think the Tampa Bay Rays <laughs> win it all. Yeah, I'm leaning I Rays too. They're one of the best coach teams. I, I love their roster. A Rosarine is a post-type sleeper. He was, he was a playoff guy last year, and he's stepping up once again. And I really love that pitching staff still, so I'm going to go with the Rays. Rays. Rays for me as well. I think the dark horse, though, has got to be Houston. They're already up 2-0 on the White Sox, and I know it's kind of a take it with a grain of salt. I already know that they're likely going to win this first series. But, man, Houston just they, they seem to just win win postseason games constantly I, I i do not see them going down easily they're they're gonna give you everything they have and i think jordan alvarez is possibly the best hitter in the postseason right now that guy has one of the sweetest swings you'll see for the left-handed side he's like six seven six eight and just straight up mashes for someone who i'm, I'm really high on i know kyle tucker someone who's really good carlos correa um looking to cap off his Astros tenure with a cherry on top. He's likely uh, gone from Houston after this year. He's a free agent. Maybe they bring him back. Maybe they don't. Um, Jose Altuve also as well. Keep an eye on him. But the Astros, it's going to be a matter of if the bullpen could handle late leads, if the starting staff could give them innings. I know Lance McCullers is really good. He's pitched that first game one, but uh, Zach Grinke hasn't really been himself this year, and uh, the Astros don't really have the same type of pitching that they've dominated on in the postseason postseason success that they've had over the last you know five six seven years so um we'll see how they do in this one i think they're just going to be a really tough out and so if they do lose it's going to be you know they're probably going to go six seven games in the next series if anything yeah i like that i i I like the uh, astros a lot and you know alvarez is a player who does not get enough credit for somebody who is as young as he is at 24 years old already having three years in the league and smashing 33 home runs this year after being rookie of the year in 2019. I mean, this is a guy you want to invest in now. It's somebody who it got into the league early enough and had enough early league success that yeah. for me is a, is a long-term career hold for sure. as a player. And so if you're a part of that fan base, I'm buying his jersey. If you're a sports card collector, I'm buying his rookie card and I'm holding the long term. The injuries in were the baseball, only thing holding him back so far. Yeah. If in baseball you're able to get into the big leagues and stick, 
young enough in your career, that's when you build up the all-time statistics. A lot of these guys, they come into their their you know their prime years, 28 years old. They've only had two years in the league, and so they're just not able to amount the statistics that lead to a Hall of Fame career. Jordan Alvarez is somebody certainly who can do that. For sure, I I really like Jordan. I think his <laughs> I I don't really I have a hard time liking any Astro. But Jordan is is like he's kind of like my Derek Jeter, who like you know you I used to hate the Yankees growing up because they were just like evil empire, always just too good for anybody's business, and um, that's kind of the Astros nowadays. You know they're just always so good, and you don't want to root for them, but they're just um, they're just always winning, and they know how to win games. And Jordan is that guy that's just like there's not really a whole lot to dislike about the guy, and his swing is just so beautiful for how big he is. It's just like it's just so short and fast and. Um, he's got he he's got unbelievable power, light tower power. Um, someone who I could see, you know, with some su- sustained success um, in Houston, should he uh, stay healthy, hopefully. Yeah, I mean, the Houston's kind of like the dark side of the force. If you're, you know, a Star Wars fan, you know, <laughs> like the Empire, right? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but yeah, I'm probably taking the Rays as well, Connor. All right. Let's talk into some NFL football. What we're going to do here, we're going to do our typical, uh, we started this last week, we're going to do Vicious Players of the Week. You're killing me, Smalls. We'll do some post-waiver wire pickups. I know we're going to Sunday slate of games. We're going to give you a, a bundle of guys that maybe you could look at who are probably on your waiver wires today that you could maybe go out and stash in that last bench spot of yours. Maybe you could generate a bench spot, throw a guy who is declared out, uh, late in the week throw them into your IR create a, create a bench spot for yourself pick up one of these guys that will give you and then also what we're going to do today also um, a handcuff draft selection Connor and I are going to go back and forth we're going to do handcuffs have been coming becoming more important so far this season you know we're looking at Damian Williams starting to take over Chicago Samaj P. Ryan for Cincinnati Chuba Hubbard got a taste last week looks like he's going to get another start this week McCaffrey's doubtful Alex Collins last night. This is this is the time of the year that the handcuffs start to become more important as running backs pick up injuries here and there. You hear about like Antonio Gibson with a with a stress fracture in his shin, like that gets you worried. You're looking at maybe who's going to take his place if he has to miss time. We're going to give you a list of guys. We're going to go back and forth. We're going to do a handcuff draft of running backs who we think you should be keeping an eye on, possibly stashing in the in the. In the scenario that maybe your one of your guys goes down for an extended period of time, you'll have his backup. You'll you'll hit the ground rolling. Um, not have to worry about trying to scramble to your waiver wire to pick up your uh, one of your running backs who goes down, picking up the backup and up the waiver wire. So we're gonna help you out there. Did I miss anything, Connor? No, I think you're we're ready to rip some football, brother. All right, let's start. Let's go back to our this. This is a fun segment. Vicious players of the week connor and i are going to give you one of our favorite players who you know last week uh, i know we're bringing this to you late in the week we're about to head into week five but uh we've had a full week to kind of digest and interpret the results of week four also maybe some some storylines that have been developing throughout the week um who is your vicious player of the week or players of the week heading to uh this next slate of games connor well for me uh, last week, it had to be Cordero Patterson. I mean, come on, dude. That performance of three touchdowns, he was on my DraftKings lineup, carried me to success. He was in one of my fantasy football lineups as well. A guy I just really like his usage levels, especially in the passing game. So for the vicious performance last week, he, he's my guy. Yeah, he was unbelievable last weekend. <laughs> 
I, it's like uh, I kind of reverse jinxed him because I was kind of bad mouthing him on the last podcast. I you were like, you were hating on him when I picked him and I was talking about him. I just I I just don't see how he's thirty <laughs> years old and all of a sudden hits his second renaissance. Like he he was never this type of player before. He's on pace to more than double his career his career high in touches. But you know it's working. He got only thirty percent of the snaps on offense last week, and he got. Uh, three touchdowns and he was targeted on 35% of his routes like he's he's getting the, the he's getting like the the volume when he's on the field so it's like if you're an opposing defense Patterson comes out like double the guy <laughs> like it's going to him you know it's, it's like it's someone who's like he's coming into you know he's gonna hit that that long three in the NBA yeah. like you, you bring in a guy to hit a shot at the end like JJ Redick or Kyle Korver you got two seconds on the clock like you know it's going to him mm-hmm. you double team him like he's, clearly the ball is going to him early and often when he's on the field it's Mike like Davis, when Deshaun Jackson comes on the field for the Rams it's like you know they're taking a deep shot alright yeah. you know how often do they use that he's in the on the field 10% of the plays so his right? usage level is so hot yeah other teams are going to start to catch on but but for now he's vicious <laughs> <laughs> he is the vicious player of the week he's riding high and he's going to be like the, one of the only guys in Atlanta's offense this week we haven't we'll, we'll talk about the, the slate of games on our next podcast uh, we're going to record that also here tonight but we're going to separate the two make it more digestible for our listeners but Atlanta with no Russell Gage no Calvin Ridley it's going to be Cordero Patterson, Mike Davis, and Kyle Pitts. I don't really know who else. The case Patterson is is going to be someone who maybe gets thrust into a, a role here for um, for for uh, the Atlanta Falcons, but I don't know. Um, are you set? Before I talk about my vicious player, would you sell high on uh, Cordero Patterson? Oh, absolutely. I mean, if I can actually get like running back to wide receiver to value for sure. But I think there's some legitimacy to what he's been doing because we have three weeks of history of it now. It's not just yeah. one ridiculous week. I don't think he's going to put up 35, but if you were to tell me he's going to average around 40 receiving yards and four catches a game, and along with you know seven to 10 carries, I believe that season long. And I think that's certainly flex value. So if you're not getting at least that, then I'm not selling. I'm not just bailing because he had a ridiculous week. I think there is some sustainable value there. Yeah, I'd agree. All right, my vicious player of the week. I'm going to go with Kyler Murray in the Arizona Cardinals. Um, Love it. Love it. One of the one of the uh, biggest upsets of the week facing the Rams, who a lot of people were thrusted into the top of their power rankings heading into week four. Kyler, they beat the Bucks, right? They beat the defending Super Bowl champions, so the Rams were riding so high. Kyler was the different the difference maker in that game too. When you watch when you watch that game film back, I mean Kyler was an animal, and I like Michael like Michael Lombardi on the GM shuffle calls him the he the road runner the beep beep beep. He's like he's he's a road runner. He's so fast, like his feet move like at an incredible pace where it's like you can't even see them, and um, it really Crazy just the, the, the 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 most. Um, the biggest, the best anecdote that I could give you as him being the the difference maker, the the vicious player of the week. First, uh, it was the second quarter. They were in the red zone and they got a penalty. It got pushed back to third and sixteen. All right, third and sixteen. I think they're on their own twenty-seven yard line, and Kyler gets flushed out of the pocket. There's no options for him in the passing game. Rams Rams secondary is doing their job, covering their their their. Uh, defensive assignments well and then Kyler just takes off and I think only Lamar Jackson is the other quarterback that could possibly do what he did on this play 
where he 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 gets like 17, 18 yards on the play, gets the first down. Cardinals go in and score. I think he threw a touchdown pass to Max Williams on this drive. And really, Kyler was, like I said, one of maybe two players in the NFL that could have made the play. He is operating on another level right now. It's like the combination of the passes that he's getting. He's he's dinking balls in like that are just he's like Russell Wilson-esque long explosive plays. And he's using his feet like Lamar Jackson. Like he's got it all. He got the whole package. He makes AJ Green look relevant again. Right? Like how did who like who would have guessed AJ Green was uh still had some juice in the tank? I didn't. We were writing him off after week one, to be honest. Right? We were like AJ Green just just retire, and he's put up a hundred yard game. He's got some touchdowns. He looks yeah. good. Kyler is is raising the ceiling of that Cardinals offense and that whole team in general just to another level, really thrusting them into contention status. I know. Yeah. I I know it's early, only a quarter of the way through the season, but. They're a team that you have to consider as maybe even <laughs> just like at the very least, like AFC, AFC West, AFC West champions at the very least, yeah. possibly. If they, especially if they beat San Francisco this week, you know they could be looking at maybe even like plus what plus one twenty, plus one ten odds to win the AFC West if they go five and zero. Oh. I mean, they're the last undefeated team. Are you kidding me? Kyler Murray is the vicious player of the season. He's the MVP so far. The yeah. most vicious player. For sure. Honorable mentions for the vicious player of the week. I just want to mention, I had a list of guys that, you know, I would consider Tyreek Hill, Patrick Mahomes had an excellent game last week, came, uh, came off the two losses, made their statement, went against the Eagles. Matt Ryan got the, the Falcons off the schneid. Matt Ryan was PFF's top ranked passer in week four. Yeah. Matt Ryan had, I, I don't like him. I'm not saying it's a, it's a, it's, it's a lukewarm take, you know, but I, I, I'm not my boy it. Danny Jones. Come yeah. on, baby. <laughs> I know Jones did look good. You know, and, and we'll talk about him later on the podcast. I have some, I like I has a good Danny Dime stuff. Uh, and the Dallas Cowboys were another vicious, vicious players, players of the week. Um, Dallas Cowboys and chargers are the two teams that I, I would say were the, you know, the vicious teams I want to highlight. Yeah, for sure. All right, Connor. On the contrary, on the contrast here, we're going to go to our next segment. You're killing me, Smalls. One of my favorite sports movies, The Sandlot. One of my favorite quotes, you're killing me. Who's the the player that was just, you're killing me, Smalls? Like, what are you doing out there this week? Like, what's going on? You know what? It For me, and I know this team won, but I'm going to call it the Chicago Bears again. Because for the second time, I've highlighted Justin Fields as a DFS player that I think is a good value, and he has been far from that. All right, not drawing up some personal bitterness in this one. Absolutely, there's personal vitriol written all over this because I drafted him on every single team, and once again, they're facing the worst defense in the league, right? The Detroit Lions. This is the most exploitable defense, and yet Justin Fields is fine. But he wasn't even good against the worst league defense in the league, and now they've named him the starter for the rest of the season. I'm worried what? about the Bears' offense completely. I'm worried about everything Matt Nagy's doing. I know they won the game, but barely. I think this is one of the worst teams in the league if you're only able to skate by the Lions. Mm-hmm. I am worried about them the rest of the season. I'm worried about Justin Fields. He has almost no fantasy value at this point. They're not drying up running plays for him. He's not being utilized like Trey Lance. Trey Lance doubled his score in half of a game you know and i thought they were going to be similar type of players coming out so for me the team that's killing me the most is the chicago bears with Allen robinson's underperformance justin field's under underperformance and of course david montgomery going down to injury i feel you there and 
I don't hate the 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 acknowledgement, but Bill Lazor started to call plays last week, and there was a noticeable difference for Chicago. And it was kind of like out of nowhere. I I didn't see any news before the game that Bill Lazor was going to start calling plays, but he made some differences for the Bears, and we'll talk about that in our handicapping for Week Five games. But I think there is some possible optimism as so long as Matt Nagy doesn't get too involved in the offense. And it's 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 inc- it's crazy to say Matt Nagy came into the Bear the Chicago coaching position with the idea that he would be some sort of offensive genius to help them turn he used around. He's an offensive guru. And in year one, they thought he was. You were like, oh, look at how he, he uses three calls and this and that. My God. He's Bad. truly, he's truly the you're killing me, Smalls person of the Chicago Bears for me. Like, I, that guy needs to lose his job ASAP. I know I'm not going to root for someone to lose their job. I'm, not, I'm that's not what I'm suggesting. I I'm just am. saying, like, for the case <laughs> of the Bears, for the for the for the wellness of Chicago, like Matt Nagy can't stick around much longer. This was a team that went, I think, eight and eight last year with a combination of Trubisky and Nick Foles, and you're telling me with a first round draft pick in a quarterback that can't do better this year. Yeah. Then I'm worried. I'm worried about that organization. I'm worried about the team. I'm worried about the head coach. And yeah, the Bears, they're killing me this year. Yeah, I feel you. All right. So I, ha- I have some honorable mentions here for the You're Killing Me Smalls. You know, the Steelers and Ben Roethlisberger, everything under the sun has been talked about them in sports media. People really doubt on them. The Falcons and Arthur Smith, you know, they're, they're dead last in DVOA now, really struggling to start the season. Tennessee Titans gave the New York Jets their first win. Zach Wilson actually looked adequate against the Titans. Not a good look if you if you look back on Wilson's first three weeks of the season. Uh, Tennessee not 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 good last year, and they're they're twenty seventh in DVOA right now. Um, but I got to go with my guy Urban Meyer with the Jacksonville Jaguars. <laughs> I love this. I can't, I can't believe this wasn't your pick, honestly. And I Urban can't Meyer. take all the top juice, man. I took Cordarrelle <laughs> already. I had to leave you, Urban Meyer. This has been the storyline of storylines to start the NFL year. Um, and I'm sure if you're listening to our podcast, you've you've already know, seen the news story. You know, at his own bar, gets a lap dance from some woman who's not his wife. Really, just Goddard's doing a lap dance in front of the screen for me now. Yep, that's it. That's how she looked, Goddard. That's exactly how she looked. Um, I got some hips. He wasn't hating it. I gotta say, and I there was something he was not like. There was something. Was there another video that I missed? Like I, I was listening to the RJ Bell Dream Preview podcast, and they were trying to say like he, he. I know I'm, I'm trying not to be too vulgar, but he, he tested the oil. Like he kind of gave her like a little feel ski downstairs. Like was that? Was there a video I'm missing? Like I, I didn't see that. But that, if he was doing that, like that's even that's way worse. You know what? He, you could say he's been testing the oil all year with the Jags, and I don't think he's, <laughs> what he's been finding. He's going to take oh the next college job that opens up, I swear to God. Uh, I don't even know if, you know, the, the whole rumor about him going to USC, you know, the, the USC president is, is, a, is a woman. How yeah, does that but look? I mean, their mascot's literally a Trojan, so I mean, he would have no problem on that team. <laughs> Oh, he can wrap the brand. Lombardi on the GM Shuffle said that uh, you know he has a lot of inside information. He he has contacts all over the league. He was with the New England Patriots for years, and he's one of the most respected football minds in the sport. Um, he was talking to someone in Jacksonville, and they texted him that you know Meyer was. Um, he said, "Don't be surprised if Urban Meyer decides to take like a quote unquote like sabbatical after the bye week in week seven. 
Um, so that that's something that could possibly be on the table. He said also, that, you know, Urban Meyer was walking around the, the, the training complex, kind of seemed like he was expecting ownership to maybe fire him with cause, um, expecting like, you know, that, that he was kind of laying the putting the cards on the table that, um, you know, he was his his tenure in Jacksonville was coming to a close sooner than later. Um, you think so, he's trying to get fired? It seems like it might be the case. That would explain um, the Carlos Hyde usage right? in week one and two. I mean, you don't play that guy unless you're trying to get fired. Seems that way. And he, the, I think the worst thing about this was, well, one of the worst things. It, it's all it's all terrible. It's There's no worst thing about this. But one of the terrible things that I haven't mentioned is he did not fly back with the team after the game on Thursday night. Goes home. He's like, oh, I got I to gotta sp- spend time with my family. I got to get my mind right. Like, dude, this is week five, week four. Like how are you? How are you this like discombobulated after this short amount of time? You know what you're doing, dude. Relax. (laughs) Like you, you. Lombardi was explaining like he's never heard a story. This is the first time he's ever heard a coach not flying home with his own team. First time he's ever heard this. The coach always flies back with the team, no matter what. Always. And if he wanted, he he makes what twelve million dollars a year. If he wanted to go back to Columbus and see his family, like take a plane, private a, a charter a charter jet after you get after you get back to Jacksonville, go back to Jacksonville, get your team right. Go back to Jacksonville, talk with your team, spend Fly the night after. there, talk with your boys, it, it, analyze the video, unreal, come back the next day. Yeah, and then and then he cancels the meeting on Monday. The team was not thrilled about that. Like, what is he doing in Jacksonville? Just the writing has been on the wall. He hired that coach at Iowa State in the preseason who had a history of racism against his his players at Iowa. He pulled Tim Tebow on the team, which was highly disliked. Right? And a lot of things just super questionable. Hyde is a backup running back, getting as much usage as the young James Robinson, who is clearly the most effective running back on the team. Taking Travis Etienne in round one, when you already have a very successful running back, and the history of taking running backs in round one is not good. This team had so many holes to fill, and yet you go there. I I haven't liked a move that Urban Meyer has taken since day one. And I'm personally going to blame him for TJ Chark's broken ankle because, you know what, why not? Seems 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 right. Seems about right. Why not? Man, Urban Meyer, you're killing me, Smalls. Whoa. <laughs> All right, Connor. Before we get to our the, the best segment that I think we've come up with in a while, we're going to do the handcuff draft after this. First, let's start doing. Let's start with this, the post waiver wire pickup. So we know we're we're, pa- we're past the point of the week where you, you're you're hitting your guys on the waiver wire, and that topic is widely covered across all kinds of fantasy football platforms. Um, you know who who you target on the waiver wire. That's something that is widely available. What we're trying to do here is throw a little bit of curveball. Who are guys that maybe you want to stash on the back end of your benches heading into this week five slate of games? Maybe someone who has a big week or somebody in front of him gets injured. Um, and maybe the opportunity is better for him in week six. Maybe the value after week five slate of games boosts for these guys coming off of uh, the week five games. Make sense? Mm-hmm. All right, Connor, who's somebody that you're trying to stash at the bottom of your bench? Who is your first post waiver wire pickup you'd go with? I know it's a little bit of cheating because we saw this player last night, but I, I want to highlight Alex Collins. And that's because this is somebody I personally spent a lot of personal dough on in our different fantasy leagues trying to grab, you know, Chris Carson has a neck injury and these things tend to linger, especially something with as sensitive as the neck, right? Because 
it's really the connection between the head and the rest of your body. You can suffer some serious consequences if a neck injury isn't handled correctly. And that means Alex Collins' rest of the season has a lot of potential. We saw him get, I think, 15, maybe 14 carries in the game on Thursday night. And he got some passing game usage too. So I think this is the player that, you know, he's going to get the goal line duties. He's going to get the bulk of the carries. And he's going to get a lot of passing game work. I think, you know, two or three catches, maybe four or five targets per game. So I think he kind of slots in right into what Chris Carson was doing if Chris Carson ends up missing extended time. And he was somebody who was only maybe 44, 45% rostered heading into the game yesterday, which means he's going to be once again available on your waiver wires next week and somebody who absolutely should be stashed. Yeah, I mean, earlier this week, he was only owned on like 1% of ESPN yeah. rosters. So Yeah, so you must have been surprised when I spent 25 bucks with, no, no, with no, him no. on Fab. <laughs> no, I, I wasn't as much. I was, I was surprised at the amount, but I, was, yeah. I wasn't surprised that you were trying to get him because I know you're a savvy fantasy owner. And, and Collins has been a guy that I've had on all my watch lists to start the year, um, especially in that league that I have Chris Carson personally. Uh, Collins is someone who I think it is uh, someone I, I should have been handcuffing Chris Carson with earlier. It's just hard early in the season to find the roster space for a guy like that who you know isn't going to be starting or getting significant yeah. carries until you know the guy in front of him goes down. And that's what happened. Um, and I got unlucky where I, I didn't pick him up soon enough. Um, but Collins is is a great a great mention in this in this segment because yeah. he's somebody that uh, you're going to have to wait to pick him up next week if he's still on the waivers. But um, He's somebody if you that... have daily waivers, you might not. Yeah. Um, the other thing about Collins is, you know, he wasn't someone who was highly owned because Rashad Penny didn't go down and get added to IR until maybe last week with a calf yeah. injury. So another reason why he's a post waiver wire pickup. Um, so you know, somebody who wasn't highly handcuffed early on, Penny was probably the guy who was being handcuffed. So two I was... guys in front of him go down, and yeah. he's been a fantasy player who's been successful previously as the lead back on the Baltimore Ravens. So somebody who we've seen in this league have legitimate NFL success. This is why he's absolutely a target. Yeah, I'd agree. Uh, Matthew Barry was actually the one who put me onto Collins early season. He kind of said before the season started, he was like, if you want to handcuff Chris Carson, it's actually not going to be Rashad Penny. It's going to be Alex Collins. So I would credit Matthew Barry, obviously someone who's well-respected in the fantasy community with ESPN. But um, I was on Collins. I was I was on Collins early on because of that, um, and I I wish I had invested earlier um, because obviously you you snagged him up. In both if you want to trade with me, man, I'm always open, you know, to the right deal. You'll Collins see. is a bail. You'll see. I might just I might not do that just out of spite. Um, I, I, I have some DJ Chark holes. I have some David Montgomery holes. I need to fill. I don't feel sorry for you. All right. No. <laughs> My first post waiver wire pickup heading to this week. I want to go with. Kadarius Tony, someone who I've been on um, since early in the season, one of your one of your favorite Giants players. Um, he's just four point three percent owned on ESPN fantasy uh, platforms. He last week, you know, he had a little bit of a breakout. Didn't get the touchdown that would have really vaulted him into the top tier stats, but got double digit points in half PPR formats. He got eighty one percent of the team snaps. He was targeting on twenty one percent of his routes run. Got twenty one percent of the team air yards last week. You know, while especially while Sterling Shepard is out, he is a, a sneaky upside play in the flex or wide receiver three spots for you. Um, mm-hmm. I think, especially with, I mean, 
I know uh, Slayton is going to help him too because, you know, there's just going to be more targets that are going to be available. But Shepard kind of plays the same position as Tony's, which is kind of stupid when you look at, like, why did the Giants draft him in the first place so high? Because their best player on offense literally plays the same position besides Saquon Barkley when he's healthy. But, um, you know, Shepard, while he's out, is is going to give Tony a big boost to his value. But even like there was the news that came out this week that even if, you know, Shepard and Slayton come back, they're mm-hmm. they're wanting to carve out a bigger role for Tony because they invested they like so much draft capital in yeah. him. He's looked good when he plays. You know, he had an understandably slow start with a lot of things, you know, just unfortunate things that happened to him. He got the <laughs> I know some of the stuff was just ridiculous. He had the wrong size shoes to start training camp, but then he got COVID, he pulled his hamstring. Like there's just a lot of stuff that has um been stacked against him to start the year. And we'll see if he has a slow rollout, maybe even like a Justin Jefferson type of, you know, slow start and uh-huh. then come on late. I, I I don't necessarily see see something to that degree. Dude, I but, cut Justin Jefferson after week three last year, so don't bring <laughs> him up, please. That hurts me so badly. He had bad three weeks, and then immediately from that, he was like a top five wide receiver. <laughs> I feel for you there, man. Yeah, <laughs> Tony is someone that I'm trying to grab in as many spots as I can. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm pretty up, up, optimistic about his upside, especially with um, – and I don't want to give away too much of my handicap and my analysis for the Giants later on, but Danny Dimes – looks looks well well above average so far passing surprisingly well for the giants buddy it's some some stuff to be encouraged about for your new york your new york giants i did call it out in the preseason i was buying shares of danny jones i feel you i liked him i liked him i like the upside potential (laughs) i know i get it but i'm honestly you should because i've watched him more than anybody else right i've seen every single game he's played in his career he's looked great 400 yards passing last week so danny jones another guy post post waiver wire sleeper too, his teammate i think that's somebody who should be added especially with the running usage that we're seeing kind of that josh allen-esque step up where so we're that seeing seven to ten carries absolutely i would definitely stash danny jones as a backup yeah, like and somebody who you know if, if you're using early on in the season that carson wentz a matt ryan a ben roethlisberger somebody who's faltered i'd much rather use daniel jones going forward with somebody Certainly. who you know he's got the rushing edge that's going to provide a nice floor and uh, a six-point touchdown as opposed to a four-point touchdown if you run it in is always beneficial yeah some surprising stuff from Danny Jones, man. Over the last three weeks, so you take away week one, Daniel Jones ranks first in PFF's passing grade. Not not second, not third, not fourth, not fifth. First. He is first. This is what in he can PFF. do with a clean pocket. We've had one of the worst O lines the past two years since he's yeah. been in the league. We tried to clean that up this year. We're looking better. We have a great offense. And Daniel Jones is producing. I've been yeah. telling you, man. And this even is my guy. even we even week one wasn't that bad. Daniel Jones over the course of the full season is second in PFF's passing grading. Um, and, and you know the team, the Giants as an offense as a whole, their their passing offense is surprisingly decent. They're eighth in success rate passing the football, fifty one percent success rate passing the ball, it's well above average. And then you look at also you know the Giants' rest of season schedule. They have the fifth easiest ranked schedule according to football outsiders in, in the DVA, DVOA rankings. So, you know, things are going to get easier for Danny Jones as, as the season progresses. Someone who I, I like in this segment as a, a post waiver wire pickup. He's available in over over 60% of leagues. He's got 39.6% ownership in ESPN formats. No, honestly, none of the defenses within his own division scare you. So I absolutely love that play. I mean, 
we th- yeah. we were kind of worried about Washington, but they don't look to be legit at all. It, it seems all. like last year was more of a circumstance of who they played. So if you're talking about the Cowboys, obviously we love that matchup. The Eagles love to run the score up. Jalen Hurts in that offense is, has one of the quickest pace of play. And then the Redskins, obviously, or Washington football team, excuse me, they don't look to be quite as legit as last year. So yeah. every single matchup going forward, it really doesn't scare you in terms of Danny Jones. So I, I really like the possibility of this offense and uh you know i'm very glad i have his prism rookie card <laughs> you had to bust that out all right connor <laughs> my next guy here for post waiver wire pickups heading into week five i'm gonna go with rashad bateman just 13.4 percent owned wide receiver for the baltimore baltimore ravens i was about to say orioles i'm still not baseball baseball mind baltimore ravens first the round pick 20 playing this time of year got, brother sorry he's got First round draft pedigree, 27th overall by the Baltimore Ravens. And um, he suffered the, the hamstring injury early in training camp, was out for a while. And the, all, all, all the preseason talk about Bateman was the fact that they brought him in for the opportunity to let Lamar Jackson stretch the field. And we've already seen that the Ravens want to do this as an offense. We saw them do it last week, especially over the last two weeks. Lamar has been really good throwing the football. And last week, especially, he had five explosive plays, had the big touchdown catch to uh, Marquise Brown. And I think that's a role that Rashad Bateman is going to possibly look to fill in this Ravens offense. As long as he starts to pick up steam, I think, you know, you're probably hopping in a little bit early. You, You could maybe afford to wait another week or two. Let... Bateman sit on your waivers for now, but you don't want to wait too long because this guy, as soon as he starts to see some of his potential realized, he's going to get snatched up across fantasy formats. He's someone that I'm targeting in my, in my leagues personally. I think the upside is there for Bateman, especially because the Ravens look to be, um, you know, after their their week one loss to Vegas has been, their offenses look pretty, pretty stellar. Um, and, and I think Lamar throwing the football is uh, an encouraging trend that we want to see from Baltimore going forward. So Bateman is someone I'm pretty high on. I'm, I'm looking to stash him where I can across fantasy formats. Yeah, I definitely like the the passing game usage from the Baltimore Ravens. Sammy Watkins has looked like a, a nice addition for this offense. He stayed healthy, he stayed on the field, and he's really opening up that offense, Marquise Brown, has finally stepped up into more of a reliable asset for them. Been healthy, he's been on the field, and I think that's been the biggest adjustment for this team. Obviously, Mark Andrews is very talented. So if you add another first-round talent, somebody else to spread the ball around to, especially if the other guys on the roster continue to produce, I think that you know Bateman is absolutely in a great position to be fantasy relevant. Yeah. All right, who's your last guy? We're going to well, surprisingly, um, another guy I want to bring up is Kenneth Gainwell. He's actually only owned in 35% of fantasy leagues, something I was absolutely shocked about because last week he had 18 fantasy points. Um, so you think he would be in one of the top waiver wire ads, and yet he's only owned in 36% of leagues. He's Miles Sanders' lead handcuff, and yet he's really splitting time with Miles Sanders. Uh, last week, three catches. Uh, three rushes, six catches, eight targets, and uh, you know, 58 yards through the air, 31 yards on the ground, close to 100 yards combined in a touchdown. I don't see how this guy isn't one of the most valuable handcuffs 
in addition to having some standalone value, he he is very reminiscent of Tony Pollard, I would say, somebody who's getting 30 to 50% of the workload in any given game. And if the other guy were to go down, he automatically kind of becomes the top 10 to 15 fantasy running back. No, that's a good one. Um, Gainwell last week, I wanted to look up his usage, got 39% of the snaps, 15% of the run rushing attempts. He ran 34% uh, of the routes on passing plays. He had 14% targets of the target share. 29% um, was he, he was targeted on his routes run. He was getting on the short down and distance snaps for the Eagles. He got 67% of the snaps. Miles Sanders, by comparison, only got 33%. So Gainwell's kind of proven to be that guy. Um, you know, He's completely taken over Boston Scott's job for sure. Oh, one hundred percent, and and then and then some. You know, he's getting and all more, the two, yeah, more. He's getting he's getting fifty five percent of the long down and distance, so that's passing down snaps, and he's also getting a hundred percent of the two minute the two minute drill snaps. So wow. when when the Eagles speed up the offense, that's you know oftentimes a really good when we're the, spot when to get fantasy points. Yeah, and you know, and they're going to be down a lot this year. They yeah. they're are they one and three at this point? I mean, I think we're we're projecting them to lose a lot of games, and that means Kenneth Gainwell is going to be very relevant if they're yeah, playing Gainwell, in the two minute offense. He should not be available in your leagues. Go and pick him up if he that's, is. Still. That's crazy if he's available only in thirty six percent of leagues as we're seeing on ESPN. So he should be rostered in one hundred percent of leagues, even for in sure. ten man, even in ten man. All right, my last guy for this segment. I'm going to go a little bit deeper here as well. Darrington Evans for Tennessee Titans, backup running back for Derrick Henry. Um, And, you know, this isn't a role that has a standalone value. He's not going to get a lot of playing time unless Henry goes down. But I think he's one of the more valuable handcuffs. And it's going to, you know, be a good transition for our next segment. We're going to draft handcuffs. But Darrington Evans is just 2.8% owned in ESPN formats. And Derrick Henry is a running back that has, I think, over 900 rush attempts over the last three years and he the wear and tear is real and you know he looks excellent this year you can't expect an injury but if you're a derrick henry owner i know mcnichols is the guy that a lot of people kind of point to as the backup but mcnichols is going to be more of a passing down guy he's going to get a larger role should henry go down but the one that the the team that's going to rely the, the the running back that the team's going to rely on most if henry goes down i think is going to be darrington evans he started the year on ir and he set the practice. He was practicing again this week, and I, I think if, if Henry goes down, the rushing attack is going to revolve around him. He has a lot of raw talent to fill in really nicely for that role. I think every Derrick Henry owner should go out and try to stash this this guy um, if if um, he's available. Darrington Evans. I like it. All right, honorable mentions. Just some guys. We had a big list. That we only listed six, but we'll just blitz through these: Van Jefferson, Jeff Wilson Jr., Dalton Schultz. Taylor Heineke, Marlon Mack, actually kind of like Marlon Mack, got 31% of the snaps last week. He's just 8.3% owned in ESPN. Brandon Bolden filling in for that James White role. Travis Homer, he kind of got – this was one that I had listed before the Thursday night game. I think DJ Dallas, his debut last last night, kind of overshadowed Homer um, and his possibly uh, – take him t- possibly taking over the passing down work. I think DJ Dallas might be the guy there instead of Homer. Uh, Less of last, Homer, more of a single now. <laughs> right. And then the last one here, Khalil Herbert. He's going to be the backup to Damian Williams. Khalil Herbert, um, you know, Damian Williams picked up a thigh injury – last week he's gonna give it a go in week five but if damian williams were to go down at all Khalil herbert might be the last man up for chicago and in, in their backfield all right connor that was our week our post waiver wire pickups of the week 
now going to head into a draft that we 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 came up with. Um, you know, segment we came up with. We're going to do a handcuff running back draft. You know, at this point of the season, running backs are starting to drop off like flies. We've already seen it across. You know, a number of different teams have been fancy relevant running backs like uh, David Montgomery, Chris Carson, Joe Mixon. Christian McCaffrey, these guys have all missed time right now um, so far this season. And not, not enough can be said for owning your best player's handcuff. You know, it's that insurance policy that you don't need. You don't you don't know you need it until you need it. Um, and it's really nice if one of your best players goes down to have the guy that's going to fill that role. And you're looking for about 80, 80%, 70 to 80% of the value. But it's still, if you have like Christian McCaffrey, you know, 70 to 80% of Christian McCaffrey is still an RB, a higher end RB2. Someone that's not going to, you're not going to suffer too big of a drop off, but you're still going to be a competitive roster if McCaffrey were to go down. So I think this is a valuable segment that our listeners can get, you know, some information on and who, if you own these players, if you own running backs at the top end of running backs one and twos, who are the guys that are backing them up and how do we rank them in terms of value? Something. Yeah, it's, it's something that's absolutely important, especially later on in the season. But it's something that's great right now. If you have an IR spot, one of your guys goes down midweek and gets ruled out for a contest, and you kind of just have that open bench spot, add one of these handcuffs for the lottery ticket. If the main running back goes down in a given week, you might have just won your fantasy football season. Say you go ahead and add Kenneth Gainwell and Miles Sanders, tears his ACL that week. You just won your fantasy football season by adding a top 10 running back because now you have a guy who solidified the workload, going to get 90% of the snaps, and he's going to be a fantasy superstar. Yep, I like it. All right, Connor, let's go. How many guys do you think would you want to uh, you, you feel comfortable drafting here? My initial thought was five, but I'm starting to think that might not be enough here. It's, I think it, we're, we're running on an hour time on the podcast, but I'm thinking let's maybe like seven a piece. That should be about half the league. All right, that makes sense. All right, you want to kick it off? Are we allowing Kareem Hunt? <laughs> yeah, that was something that we were we were discussing this segment. I think Kareem Hunt is kind of off the board. I love Kareem Hunt, and he, he's the RB, I think, seven or eight right now. Yeah, I, so, I was voting for we shouldn't count him because he's uh, actually outscoring Nick Chubb to this point in the season, so he's less of a handcuff and yeah. more of just in a, a one. A one. <laughs> an RB1. Yeah. He's an RB1. Right? I, so, I was gonna say one B, but he's not. He's literally one A. He's one A on his team. Yeah, yeah. And even like uh, a next man up in our listing, we have Javante Williams. I don't even think he should be eligible. He was he got fifty one percent of the snaps last week, so he was getting the majority over Melvin Gordon. So he's kind of all, the workhorse. Yeah. Yeah, so let's take so, these two t- two guys off. That's fine. Okay, and, and, think, and by the way, I I'm really high on Javante Williams, someone who I'm trying to buy love him. low because I think his value is going to keep going up. But you know, the the owner of Javante Williams kind of knows this by now, yeah. so it's it's hard if to go out and get him. Looking at the advanced statistic, he's leading the league in terms of broken tackles, right there with Nick Chubb. So if you're expecting a higher workload, including that elusiveness rating, he's going to be fantastic the second half of the season. This is what we said. The last eight games are where he's really going to shine Not the first eight or maybe last nine now that we have a 17-game season. But it's kind of what we saw with the running backs last year, the Jonathan Taylors of the world. You know, they didn't really break out until week eight, week nine of last year because, you know, it takes some time for them to learn the passing offense for run blocking, which is one of the things that running backs take the longest to get accustomed to. But once they're really able to take that full workload, they seem to take over 
these offenses, these first, second, third round running backs. And so Javante Williams is certainly in that position, especially with an expendable Melvin Gordon, who's on the last year of a contract. Well said. All right, Connor, give me your first draft pick for our handcuff uh, selections here. Well, this one's got to be pretty obvious. He's had standalone value. He's third on the list, Ben. You know, you provided your rankings, but either way, I was going to select this guy if you'd given me the first pick. Are you sure you want to hand it over to me? I mean, <laughs> no, like, go ahead, brother. All right. I mean, it's got to be Tony Pollard. This guy has looked actually in many stretches of the season to be the more effective back than Ezekiel Elliott. If Ezekiel Elliott goes down, I think he's legitimately going to fill in directly for what Ezekiel Elliott's production was. He's going to be the clear every single down back on the uh, Dallas Cowboys offense, which we think is one of the best offenses in the league additionally. So he's going to have plenty of scoring opportunity. He's got to be the number one. No, it's a good selection. Tony, Tony Pollard is someone that I am I'm currently trying to go and get because I really think he's a, a great player. And, you know, Zeke's looked great so far this season after the week one kind of let down. People were panicking a little bit on him, but it's too early to i mean not it's not too early we've seen zeke really show that he's for real he's he's a legit guy but tony pollard like you're right has standalone value you know dallas also their offensive line ranks first in adjusted line yards so if you know we're talking about these handcuffs if the starting guy goes down if the talent is a drop off what does the offensive line it raises the floor if your offensive line is still really good dallas's offensive line number one in the league in creating space for the running backs First in adjusted line yards, 5.3 average yards um, adjusted for the for their offensive line. So that's been really good for them. Um, and, and Tony Pollard is, is number one on my handcuff list for that reason. And right. historically, that O-line over the past five years has been one of the best in the league too. So it goes beyond just who they have on their current roster. They have a history of being a fantastic running offense. Definitely. All right, my second man up. Alexander Madison and Madison is someone that he doesn't really need a whole lot of introduction in the fantasy world because we've already seen him make his presence known when Dalvin Cook misses time but the reason why I have him so high is despite the fact that he doesn't really have a whole lot of standalone value when Dalvin Cook is 100% healthy Dalvin Cook isn't 100% healthy often he's <laughs> he I, I know he I think he played 13 games last year Cook did but if he misses time Madison I think ranks I think he's his average points per game in fantasy. I heard this heading into last week. I think it was like 24 point something average fantasy points when, when he starts with Dalvin Cook out. Yeah. So if Cook misses any time, Madison is like a top five fantasy running back. He he actually averages a top five fantasy finish when Dalvin Cook's out. Yeah. So if you're a Cook owner, I know Madison is probably owned in a lot of leagues at this point, but if you're a Dalvin Cook owner, I would be willing to overpay for Alexander Madison just to have that insurance policy because Cook is, is an excellent running back, but he is a little bit injury prone. He had the injury, the ACL tear in his rookie season. He didn't really miss a whole lot of time last year. I mean, essentially got a full season's work last season, but he's already missed a game this year. Um, you know, he, he's got, I think, what, a knee problem or a groin problem or something. He's kind of got sh- shaking off some small injuries, aches and pains early mm-hmm. on this year already. I would love to have that insurance back up if I'm a Dalvin Cook owner right now. Crucial. All right. Who's your next guy? The next guy is less of a backup, more of a 1D as well. I'm going to go with Jamal Williams. And the reason I like Jamal Williams here is he's already getting around 10 carries and you know, four to six passing uh, targets per game. 
And if DeAndre Swift goes down, I think, you know, he's really going to absorb 90% of the running back touches. It's kind of splitting it right now. But somebody who has standalone value on the season, if you are in a desperate situation, he's a fine running back too. And you can absolutely play him or at least flex him. And so for me, that's why he becomes my second selection behind Tony Pollard. A little bit less explosive, but more of a guaranteed workload game to game. No, I like that one. I like that one a lot. Um, I think... uh... I think he's a uh, valuable running back. All right, I'm going to go with my next one. Um, I'm going to go with Sony Michelle um, is with the LA Rams. The, you know, the Rams, are their offensive line is seventh in adjusted line yards. They they like to run the football. I know Matthew Stafford has really placed an importance for them in their passing game, but the bread and butter for the Rams is establishing the run. And Sonny Michelle, I mean, Daryl Henderson has already had picked up the ribs injury. He, um, did he, did he miss week, week three or week four? Um, I can't remember already in the Rams no, but, game, we're, 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 but that was week five. Did he miss last week or he was limited? I think, right. Michelle has a little bit of standalone value. He definitely missed point week two. three. I don't remember week four. Okay. But, I mean, you know, Michelle, it was inevitably going to have a little bit of a slow start to the season, despite, um, you know, he's 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 been a talented running back in his career with with New England, um, but he he had to take some time to learn the LA offense. I think this is an opportunity that if Henderson were to miss any time, he's somebody that uh, would get vaulted probably into like the high end RB two status, and uh, that's a, pr- a pretty valuable backup if you're a Daryl Henderson owner. But Henderson, by the way, one of my favorite targets as a buy low guy because the Rams, I believe, I looked this up yesterday. They have, at the very least, a top five rest of season schedule for opposing defenses for running backs in fantasy football. So the Rams running backs are someone are are ones that I'm I'm looking to maybe maybe target going forward because I think that the breakouts are coming for Henderson and Michelle possibly as well. Dude, I was so sad when Cam Akers went down because I was so ready to call yeah. him a top 10 running back. I, I love having a Rams running back. Sean McVay loves to commit to the run, especially if it's going to open up his passing game. And we think the Rams are going to be one of the best teams in the league. So defensively, they're going to keep them in a lot of games. It's going to be close, which means their running game is oftentimes going to still be relevant. They're not going to really get pushed out of being able to use their running game many times this season. So having the Rams running back, whether it's Daryl Henderson or Sonny Michelle, can certainly add a lot of fantasy value. 100%. All right, Connor, who's the next guy? The next guy is somebody I said who's only 35% owned. It's Kenneth Gainwell. The reason I'm saying this is because we've already seen his usage jump up to 40% of the snaps in his last game. He's getting utilized in all of the valuable fantasy two-point drills, meaning he's getting most of the passing game usage. So while Miles Sanders is getting more of the running game, from a fantasy perspective, a target is worth almost two times as much valuable as a rush, especially because in 0.5 PPR and PPR, obviously you're getting the point up up, uh, right right ahead of time, but also the yardage attached to a reception is oftentimes much higher than a rush. So Kenneth Gainwell is arguably more valuable than Miles Sanders at this point. And if Miles Sanders goes down, I absolutely love the opportunity for this rookie running back. He's looked explosive on the field. I've liked everything I've seen so far. So for me, he's my number three guy. No, I, I really like Gainwell for all those same reasons. All right, my next guy up for my handcuff draft. I'm going with A.J. Dillon. 
And A.J. Dillon already last week saw an uptick in his usage. He got 40% of the snaps. He got 47% of the rush attempts last week. He's starting to see some spike in usage. And it was primarily last week because the Packers were leading on a season-high percent of 65. uh, They were leading on... Uh, a season high of 65% of the plays last week. So uh, it was one of the first games that the Packers kind of had the lead early and often, and they didn't really let it go against Pittsburgh last week. Um, Dylan handled 15 attempts with 48% of them in four minute offense, salting the game away at the end of the game. So, uh, if Dylan, if the Packers are leading, that's a good game script for for AJ Dylan. And if Aaron Jones were to miss any time, Dylan would probably get all. Most, if not all, of the running back usage. He's someone that uh, a lot of people were kind of high on early. He had a little bit of a down first couple of weeks, and I think that the value is starting to come back to him. And by the way, the Packers have the second-ranked easiest schedule rest of the season, according to Football's Outsiders. So the Packers, if they're winning football games, I think Dylan's going to see more and more usage. He got 40% last week. Wouldn't be surprised to see that continue to stick around there, even if Aaron Jones is injured. I think... You know, when when the Packers are get, getting to shootout shootouts, if the teams that they're facing are scoring a lot of points, forcing the Packers to, to keep their primary offense on the field, that's going to bode well for Aaron Jones and his game script. But if the Packers are facing easy teams, which they are projected to do going forward, I think it's going to bode well for AJ Dillon. And he was one of my favorite handcuffs to go out and, and get, um, especially you know I'm personally an Aaron Jones owner in our ATA. Um, you know, league of record. And I've, I've tried hard to get AJ Dillon, but the manager, the owner for AJ Dillon kind of understands his value at this point. Um, and it's, it's tough to go out and get him, but you know, I'm willing to overpay to do it. I think he's someone that, um, I would love to have as an insurance option. And I'm going to continue, I'm going to continue to try to go and get him because he is, um, potentially a league winner. If Aaron Jones were to miss any time. Yeah. I think that's a great pick. Who's your next guy up? Well, since we're still, con- you know, I, I want to bring up that we're avoiding the guys like, you know, the Devin Singletary slash Zach Moss breakups because mm-hmm. we kind of view those situations as kind of split rosters. Same thing with Cordero Patterson and Mike Davis they're, or the Naheem Hines. They're, they're kind of a – they play a completely different position. One guy's clearly the pass catching back delineated from the main running back, and that's why they're not really a handcuff. They kind of just – they won't assume the same workload, even if yeah. the main guy goes I, down. I really like McKissick, but I think that's you make a good point. He's not I really think, handcuffed. I think McKissick falls into that Naheem Hines territory where his role is largely unchanged, whether the main guy goes down or not. They're not really a beneficiary. They're going to see a small uptick for sure, but they're not going to really take over the workload. So maybe we put JD and McKissick in that same territory. Um, but just that being said, the next guy for me is Damian Williams. The reason why I like Williams is obviously last game after Montgomery went out, he still got 14 fantasy points and Montgomery had a game of his own two touchdowns and a hundred yards. Damian Williams has been previously a fantasy superstar on the Kansas city chiefs. Um, somebody who was signed to a big contract in the past. And obviously they really like him. He's seen some decent workload behind Montgomery, but with Montgomery out four to six weeks, he has to be one of the top handcuffs already because he's about to jump into a starting workload this next week. And Tariq Cohen's not back till week seven off the PUP. Uh, I think it's week seven at least. So we're going to have a clear starting workload for the next three weeks for Damian Williams. We have a history, a track record of success on the field. I think he is going to be a great pass catching and running option. Um, So give me Damian Williams. 
Yeah, you know, I wish we were a week earlier with this segment because we would have done a lot of good for David Montgomery owners. Sorry to those individuals, but um, you I'm know, it might it might be time to go and pay up to get Damian Williams if you own David Montgomery. Maybe even like as Montgomery's coming back, maybe that might be the strategy as as the news starts to kind of percolate, percolate that you know Montgomery's going to be returning soon. Maybe go out and try to pay cheap for Damian Williams because you know that insurance value of a guy, especially after missing those weeks. Or by chance, if you happen to own Damian Williams without owning David Montgomery, try and go ahead and buy low on David Montgomery. That way, this guy you just picked up on your roster, this Damian Williams, is yeah. all of a sudden vaulted in your starting roster. He's an RB2 value immediately, right? Um, well, go ahead and buy David Montgomery, somebody who's performing as an RB1. He was an RB7 on the season. Go ahead and grab him now for an RB2 slash RB3 value. Yeah, and as soon as Damian Williams and David Mon- as soon as David Montgomery, I should say, becomes healthy, go ahead and swap him in for that Damian Williams spot. You don't lose a roster spot, and you keep that production. And you just bought an RB one value running back at an RB two slash three range. So go ahead if you happen to be that lucky. I would try and trade for David Montgomery too. No, that's a decent strategy. All right, my next guy. I think is this our is this the fourth or fifth um, this selection? Is your fourth. I've already gone for four. Okay. All right, my fourth man up here. I'm going to go with Daryl Williams with the Kansas City Chiefs. I have some surprising stats here for you for the Chiefs. They're actually first in run success rate on the season right now. 64% of their runs have been successful. That's 102 attempts. 65% of them have been successful. And then you look at the offensive line stats. They're fifth in adjusted line yards. So the offensive line has been really good for them as well. The Chiefs have an opportunity, and, and it's kind of surprising for CEH to not be in that RB, low R, and RB1, high-end RB2 status because the opportunity should be there for him. And Back-to-back 100-yard games. He's starting to do around. Do, he's, he's starting to do better. And I, I think, you know, you were early to the CEH kind of post-hype stuff. You were saying that, you know, not, don't get too concerned about the, or the slow start. I think he's a guy that maybe you, you're content to just hold on to for a while. But if you're a CEH owner, I would not hate in going to stash Daryl Williams, who would definitely be getting the primary workload should Clyde Edwards-Illaire go down. Daryl Williams just last week got 34, 36% of the snaps. He's getting 30% on the year. Last week, he got 36% of the rush attempts. He ran a route 31% of the time, got 7% of the targets. He has a, a small amount of standalone value in his own right. If CEH yeah. were to go down, Daryl Williams would be the guy next man up. I love that pick. I literally All checked right. my waiver wire as we were talking about it. Just <laughs> snag him. Too late. All right, who's your, who's your next guy? Your last last pick here for our handcuff draft. I thought we were going to do seven. Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. You're right. We're going to do seven. Yeah, Ben, I'm trying to round out my roster over sh- here. You're throwing a <laughs> curve there, you know, right there. Uh, for me, I'm going to go James Conner with this next one. Yeah, that was next guy. Again, I, I like a guy who has a history of fantasy success. We've seen it prove on the field against, you know, legitimate NFL defenses. Um, additionally, he's somebody who has some standalone value. He's already been used as the goal line back for Arizona with Chase Edmonds, you know, not really being the headliner there. So, uh, you know, James Conner, I think, is, is, a, is a great play. He can catch balls out of the backfield too. So while Chase Edmonds is clearly the better back at doing that, if he were to go down in any situation, uh, James Conner can clearly fill the roles in every single down back. 
Yeah, and, and we're a little bit late to the party here. He picked up two touchdowns last week, two touchdowns in each of the last two weeks, I believe. Got 42% of the snaps last week, had 49% of the rush attempts, ran 27% of the routes run for the running back position. He got 7% of the targets. Uh, he was targeted on 18% of his routes that were run. He actually saw his first usage in two-minute drill offense as well. He saw 33% of the snaps last week from the two-minute drill. So he's starting to get some more usage in those roles that you know Chase Edmonds was picking up early on in this year. Edmonds already picked up a minor shoulder injury, I believe is a shoulder. Um, questionable heading to week five matchup against San Francisco. Connor is a guy that if you're a Chase Edmonds owner, and I actually really like Chase Edmonds, I think he's a possibly a buy-low candidate in his own right. But James Connor is a good insurance policy for Chase Edmonds, I think. He shares my namesake too, so you know. Connor's <laughs> gotta stick with Connors. <laughs> All right, brother. All right. My next one, and, and you know, this one is kind of a cheat code for me. I'm gonna go I just think the opportunity is there, and it's kind of a coin flip to who you think would get the work if you know this guy goes down. But I'm gonna go with Dwayne Washington and or De- Devin Ozigbo. Coming from Ozigbo just got signed off the off Jacksonville's practice squad, I think. Um, and I think Dwayne Washington is the guy I'm targeting at least this week if you're going to go stash a guy to back up Alvin Kamara, who we all know Kamara's value. Kamara's excellent, um, and New Orleans relies heavily on their rushing game with him. And if he were to miss any time, you know, New Orleans ranks sixth in adjusted line yards this year. Their offensive line is doing well for the rushing game, and uh, I think it's Dwayne Washington right now who would be the next man up should Kamara miss any time. You don't want to be caught holding the bag with Kamara if he were to get injured. Uh, I would go and get the insurance policy while I can. I think Dwayne Washington is the guy. If if you own Kamara until week five, I would try to create roster space to get Washington, and then if you know, I think Ozebo as he learns the offense for New Orleans might end up you know dethroning washington for that second second uh rb2 spot because tony jones is now an ir i believe so mm-hmm. ozigbo is expected to miss three to four weeks so yeah absolutely washington for the next three to four after yeah. that you you might want to switch back to tony jones who yeah. won that job in the preseason yeah all right well said that's that's who i'm going with because the opportunity is there for new orleans I like it. My next pick is a guy who I paid up for heavily to have on my rosters in multiple leagues, and that's Alex Collins. Um, you know, somebody we already talked about in this episode, yeah. but Double I think, dipping. you know, we, we, we already now have proof that Alex Collins, when Chris Carson is out, is the clear lead back who's given 15 carries yesterday and also given a decent amount of the pass work. DJ Dallas and Travis Homer, their specialty is clearly – um, from uh, the pass catching perspective, not running the ball. So if there is a touchdown situation, you know, goal line situation, it's going to be Alex Collins. As long as Rashad Penny is out, uh, he's not done for the season now, Ben, right? I'm not um, sure about that one. But, I'm not sure um, about Penny. As long as Penny is out, uh, you know, Look, I think regardless, I think regardless of Penny, I I I don't think Pe- Penny doesn't have it. He doesn't. He's he looked great in the preseason from everything I heard. He's preseason. a former first round pick, so you know while healthy, Penny, but Penny cannot stay healthy. So mm-hmm. you know it's tough. It's a tough situation what to do with him. But Collins has some juice, and uh, when Carson's down, Collins is clearly the guy right now. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you there. All right, I'm going to double dip as well. I'm going to go with Darrington Evans with Tennessee for all the same reasons I said earlier. Um, you know, Tennessee run has ran the ball 136, per, uh, 136 times this year. That's second most in the league. Cleveland is the only team that's run the ball more than them. You know, Tennessee only has a 21% success rate, but the volume is there. They rely heavily on the rushing game. Henry, if he were to miss any time, like I said, the workload's getting really large for him. Um, I'm not banking on it, but it's nice to have that insurance policy if you're Derrick Henry owner. I like it. All right, Connor. All right, so it's our my six, last pick, oh, seven? Right? Okay. Uh, so for me, my last one's going to be Samaj P. Ryan, the guy who is next up behind Joe Mixon. I like this pick because Joe Mixon has a history of injury. So if you're talking about likelihood uh, of the guy in front of them to be injured, it's Samaj P. Ryan with Joe Mixon ahead of him. Again, we completely project him, especially with Gio Bernard out of that backfield, somebody who had a lot of fantasy relevance every time Joe Mixon went down. Now Samaj P. Ryan is going to have that full workload, so I really like him going forward. Certainly. And, and you know, in the same vein, these both these guys seem to kind of gain some value um, at the same time almost. I'm going to go with Chuba Hubbard with the – Carolina Panthers. I know this is a guy that's already been talked about in a lot of fantasy circles with McCaffrey going down a few weeks ago. Um, but Hubbard getting another start here in week five had, uh, you know, a so-so performance in his one start last week. And I think we should see some improvement, especially because he's a, he's a rookie running back who is uh, going to continue to get better as the season progresses. And I, I think Hubbard is someone that has some explosive ability with a lot of talent. He was someone that was highly thought uh, thought of pre his senior season in college. He was someone that was one of the highest RB rank, ranked guys coming out of college. And then I think he had a disappointing final season in college, well, relatively disappointing compared to some of his competition, kind of dropped him down some draft boards. Carolina felt really fortunate to get him where they did. I think they got him in the second or third round. And... Um, He's someone that should continue to get better. And McCaffrey's role in that offense is so huge and so large that if he goes down, misses more time, that that hole that he leaves is going to be filled up with a lot of Chuba Hubbard, I think. Yep. So that rounds out our rosters. I got the highlights figured out here on the sheet, Ben. So I'm in purple, you're in red. I think what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and turn this into an article and keep track rest of season. Whose handcuffs perform better? Uh, as a little fun fantasy competition, but my picks were Tony Pollard, Jamal Williams, Damian Williams, Samaj Piran, James Conner, Alex Collins, and Kenneth Gainwell. Not in that order, but just running down the list. Ben, who are your guys? Yeah. I got Madison, Sony Michelle, AJ Dillon, Daryl Williams, Dwayne Washington slash Ozigbo. I think Dwayne Washington's the, the main guy there. Darrington yeah. Evans and Chuba Hubbard. One guy that I did that, you know, the next man up for me was Marlon Mack. I talked about him already, but I think Marlon Mack is someone that I'm going to, to stash if I'm a uh, Jonathan Taylor owner. Mm. Great advice. Love it. All right, Connor. That was fun. I think we, we're we going to try to come up with more segments like that to try to just – you know we're trying to be a little bit different than typical fantasy platforms there's a lot of coverage out there for this um this hobby and i think we have a lot of uh niche knowledge a lot of highly sophisticated knowledge and statistical analysis to uh facilitate you know fantasy owners and football and gamblers and all of our analysis should continue to help the our listeners in these areas um, and I think this is one that we could look back on with with some fondness because I think, um, you know, it's inevitable that running backs get injured at 
certain points in the season. And I think a number of the guys that we talked about in that segment will eventually become fantasy football relevant. And at one point or another this season, you know, it's inevitable. Running backs typically miss at least two to three games a season, even if that's considered a full season, essentially for a running back in fantasy football. So owning a top tier guy, enough, enough can't be said about, you know, getting that handcuff, paying up for, you know, sometimes you got to overpay in a trade to get, you know, how many times guy. has like a, a Jeff Wilson jr. Won somebody's league. Yeah. I mean, it did for you last year. So the, I mean, these guys are crucial. Definitely. All right, Connor, that's going to wrap it up here for episode 84 of vicious talk with Benny P any last words here uh, before we uh, say goodbye. We're going to get to our uh, picks against the line and DFS with the next pod. You know, stay tuned to all things analysis.com, baby. We got the heat coming. Yeah, we're doing good on our website. And, you know, um, I think uh, our power rankings, we're continuing to update them each week. We're going to start to do, we're going to do a quarter season benchmark of our player fantasy rankings. And um, I'm continuing to post my best bets. And my best bets, a lot of my handicapping last week was pretty sound. Um, And we did well in our picks against the lines as well. And DFS has obviously been fantastic too. Yeah. And and my brother runs a uh, picks picks pool, you know, picks against the line pool. Um, And I'm picking right now at a 54% clip. Um, So that is, uh, you know... Good, but not great. I'm, I'm just looking to improve upon that. Yeah. Just about sustainable. So I'm looking to continue to improve upon that. I had a good week last week. I think I hit 12 out of the 16 games last week. So looking to build on that and roll into week five. And before uh, we sign off, we know listen. Make sure you listen to our next pod. We're gonna do our picks against the lines as well as the DFS plays. Connor and I. That's kind of been our bread and butter. So make sure you hear that. Also, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review Vicious Talk with Benny P on all your podcast platforms. I really appreciate all the love and support we get. We're going to continue to do our thing here. And uh, Connor and I have been having a lot of fun doing it. Connor, rocking that. Where'd you get that shirt, Connor? Why do, and why don't I have one? Connor just showed our me the Our website, dude. Our Shopify website, baby, where you can get all the merch for Vicious Talk and allthingsanalysis.com, That's baby. Sick. If you want to support the show, you want to get a sweet sweater, a sweet tee, a sweet hat. Go right ahead to atashop.com. I love it, buddy. All right, let's wrap it up here. Don't forget to ask yourself at the end of the day, are you vicious? Yeah.